The reading comes from Mark, the 10th chapter. The rich young man is the story told by Jesus. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man or woman to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, you have left everything to follow. We have left everything to follow you, said Peter. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters, mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, fields, and with them persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Here ends the reading. You may be seated. Our generous and loving God, we call together all of our attention this morning on the power of your generosity, the bounty of your love, the harvest of goods that you give to each of us every day, so often we go about unnoticing the source. Lord, we ask that we might truly focus on um, the, the wealth in our lives, the wealth in so many ways, not just in money, but in spirit, in our homes, in our jobs, in our friends, in uh, the many ways that we are blessed in this country. And we ask that we might be uh, mindful, Lord, of what is asked of us in the scripture. We ask that we will look at it clearly with open eyes and that you will call us through the Holy Spirit uh, this season as we consider once again our pledges and our offerings for the, for the stewardship campaign that you will be indeed the forefront of our decision. Bless us now, Lord, with your presence and your unconditional love as well. Amen. <clears throat> A Native American and his friend were in downtown New York, uh, New York City, walking near Times Square in Manhattan. And it was during noon lunch hour, and the streets were just filled with people everywhere. Cars were honking and horns were blaring, taxicabs were soaring by, squealing around the corners, sirens were wailing. The sounds, as you know, of the city were almost deafening. 
Suddenly, the Native American said, I hear a cricket. His friend said, what? You must be crazy. You couldn't possibly be hearing a cricket in all of this noise. No, he said, I'm sure of it. I heard a cricket. That's crazy, said the friend. The Native American listened carefully for a moment and then walked across the street to a big cement planter where some shrubs were growing. He looked into the bushes, pushing them aside beneath the branches, and sure enough, he located a small cricket. His friend was utterly amazed. That's incredible, said his friend. You must have superhuman ears. <clears throat> no, said the Native American. My ears are no different than yours. It all depends on what you're listening for. But that can't be, said the friend. I could never hear a cricket in this noise. Yes, it's true. It depends what is really important to you. Here, let me show you. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a few coins and disc discreetly dropped them on the sidewalk. And then, with the noise of the crowded streets still blaring in their ears, they noticed every head within 20 feet turned to look and see if the money that tinkled on the pavement was theirs. See what I mean, said the Native American. It all depends on what's important to you. <clears throat> this Native American and Jesus are facing similar challenges, it seems, where they see a world of possibility, a world of endless possibility all around them. Jesus in Mark's gospel is confronted, is confronted by Jesus confronting us with a challenge. And he's confronting the eager young man before him, who Mark stresses, runs up to him, kneels in front of him, and pops the question with all the urgency in the world. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, one thing he lacks, despite all his law-abiding behavior, sell what you have, all those technological gadgets, your new iPhone 11, 42-inch LCD screen, the new car, the front row seats to the Super Bowl, the timeshare in Bermuda, the crowded wine cellar, and the most precious vintages, and give all the proceeds to the poor. Only then will you be on the road to discipleship. His answer was, oh, never mind. He was a little less inspired at this point. That would be impossible. As he turned and plodded away with heavy heart, our faithful rich man didn't think discipleship would cost him that much. But our answer, I know, would have been totally different, right? Is that all you asked, Jesus? To hear the cricket song? The noisy streets of this world are drowning out? Just clean out the clutter of my life. It all chains me down. The bills, the repair of our toys, the fixation on what's newest and fastest in culture. We can do that, Jesus. We can give it up. Notice, before Jesus gave his mind-numbing challenge to the rich 
man's question, the text inserts, Jesus was looking at him in love. Jesus was looking at him in love. Did you see that? Did you also see that the rich man's answer puts all the emphasis on his own abilities and his own accomplishments in providing his eternal inheritance? What more, what more must I do to inherit eternal life, to be saved? In other words, as if it is within reach of each human being to save themselves by their own wit and determination. Well, that's the heart of the problem often. Jesus says, looking at him in love, there's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. It's all God's doing, alone. Right now, there's no room in your life for God's input. So, sell all you own. Empty your plate and come follow me. It's only that look of unconditional love that makes our salvation possible at all. God extends a gift of forgiveness and abundance to us misguided and weak believers, even when we just don't get it. For us, it's always impossible to acquire eternal life. But when we allow God to take over and lead in our lives, everything becomes possible. Doors open, hearts are changed, relationships are healed, prejudices are broken down, and yes, even wealthy suburbanites can be so moved they will sell their possessions and work full-time to alleviate the cycle of injustice and poverty in our world. The dead end for the rich man who walked away from Christ's love was put this way in the Message Bible. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. A recent convert to sacrificial giving said, I have learned this. I'm not a generous giver when I give God a bigger percentage every year. I'm a generous giver when I put out my hands and say to God, God, it's all from you. Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to do with it? Jesus, though rich, became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Emily Dickinson once said, dwell in possibility, dwell in possibility. I love that line, especially for the season of stewardship emphasis we're in this month. Dwell in possibility, namely empty all the clutter out of our lives that keeps us from finding the door to the kingdom of God. And listen once again in the streets of Manhattan. Listen for those sounds we often don't hear the sounds of the crickets simply singing a song of divine joy. Tom Sine, a contemporary writer, said once, but Western Christians want it both ways, namely, the American dream with a little Jesus overlay. A little Jesus overlay, so that we don't have to sacrifice any comforts or conveniences. To the Christians, it's a tough and a rough accusation to all of us. 
but one we have to try on with honest soul-searching feeling sometime each year. For our calling as disciples is, is uh, described by our music friend, Ken Miedema, who has written the song, No One Goes Without. This will be our dream, till all the hungry shall be fed, and no one goes without. Now the grace that brought us here is teaching us to see we will do a godly thing when money and possessions are set free. It depends on what's important to us. As a Native American said, what we're listening for in our lives, that puts us in chains with heavy hearts or frees us to dwell in God's possibility, God's generous possibilities, and hope for the global village. In her book, Six Weeks to a Simpler Life, author Barb Sorensen writes about her experience of decluttering. After being aggravated by her bulging drawers in the bedroom, she realized, I don't need more room. I need fewer sweaters. She gave many to goodwill and confessed, whew, I felt freed up. Wow, what a feeling. I had less trouble deciding what to wear in the morning, she says. Less choices and less fighting with the drawers. The same idea applies to places that are out of control. Kitchen, kitchen's offices filled with stuff. <laughs> Look at me. Children's rooms full of toys. But Sorensen cautions that decluttering can be very, very contagious. Decluttering your closet leads to other closets, into the cabinets, out into the garage, and into your very soul. Ah, old grudges, out they go. Harbored hurts, who needs them? Sins of your fathers and mothers, let them be gone. Take a look around, sort through a closet or two, see what new possibilities open up for redeeming your life, your family rapport, your walk with God in prayer and in trust. I have to admit that her quote hits me pretty hard as I am about to <clears throat> clean out my own office here. Some of you are aware that the gigantic task that will be, and you won't even sit on my side of the desk where stuff's all stored underneath by my knees and my ankles, and that there's across the hall in the locked cupboards about four or five uh, plastic tubs full of stuff. Oh, some of it's Tanzanian, some of it's other things from other sales, some of it is the, uh, the uh, sermons that I've done over the years, and then there's the file cabinets that you pull out the long drawers and you can see all the stuff that's been in there for the last 16 years that hasn't exactly been thrown out. So do I have a job ahead of me? I do, so I am not pointing fingers. But there is a cleansing to it as well. Worship, you see, is a sacrifice of praise. We are offering ourselves in worship. And our sacrificial and generous offering is meant to be a barometer of our thanksgiving, how much we trust God and worship God as the number one being in our lives. You see, we know everything in all creation belongs to God, and it's not ours to hoard. When we finally grasp that truth, then we stop clinging to stuff as an artificial means of finding happiness and security, and we begin to dwell in possibility of a new life in the kingdom of God. 
People who own the least possessions can be the most faithful and generous in giving. I was on a scenic mountaintop uh, years ago in Tanzania in a sub-parish that was once called Kwe Mashai. I was visiting the smallest partner church in uh, the cathedral diocese when an old humble woman came up smiling at me. She and others had just sung lively songs over and over to all of us, clapping in praise to God as we stood in breathtaking uh, silence watching them and seeing the vista all around us of God's creation. When I turned to leave, I complimented this little woman on her lovely silver cross necklace. It was very plain. She took my hands and thanked me, holding both of my hands. And immediately she reached around her brown neck and removed that symbol of Christ's sacrificial love and gave it to me, who has so much. You may have it, she said. I was deeply touched. She, with nothing to spare, had given me what was most important to her, the acknowledgement that Christ was her only Lord and Savior. May we do the same for others. Amen.